Good morning, everybody. Really glad to see you here today. Missed you all last week. We had a great vacation fixing stuff around the house. <laughs> Aren't you so jealous? But we, we miss our Connection family, and we're so glad to be back with you. If you're new here today, I want to add my welcome to the ones that have been given. If you are here for the first time, we have a gift for you at either of the welcome kiosks as uh, you go on out, and you can grab that. It's just our way of saying we're glad you're here, and we want you to keep coming back. And this is a healthy church. It's a great church. My family has been a part of this for a long time, and it's a good place to put down some deep roots. So, And if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you after service. So today we're talking about heaven. There's a dad who talks about the time his five-year-old daughter, Casey, was so much looking forward to going to kindergarten. It was just days away, and it was hard to tell who was more excited, five-year-old Casey or her three-year-old sister, Jamie. They're just both super stoked that Casey's going to kindergarten. The day before Casey was to leave for school, she had an accident. She hit a bump. She fell down, scraped her knee. There was a boo-boo. The blood was flowing. The tears were flowing. And as she was crying, her little three-year-old sister, Jamie, tried to encourage her. And she said, it's okay, Casey. If you die, you'll go to heaven. <laughs> and Casey started wailing all the more. I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to kindergarten. <laughs> right? I'm wondering if with Casey, there's some truth to that. Anybody want to go to heaven? Oh, some of you are like, some of you are like, I don't know. Are you organizing a trip today? <laughs> Not really. What are you talking about? I mean, I want to go to heaven. I think everybody does. It's better than the alternative, right? But there's just a little bit in a lot of people's minds to go, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but do I really? Because honestly, I'm not so sure that it's going to be that enjoyable. It's heaven, but I want you just to do something right now, if you would. Just for a moment, pause and think about heaven and think about what comes to your mind. You don't have to close your eyes, but if that helps, you can. Just imagine heaven. What do you associate with that? All right. Did anybody picture white clouds, fluffy, robes, angels, harps, one eternal church service, just singing all the time, right? World without end. And, oh, it's an eternal church service that's from, like, the 1930s. <laughs> Complete with everything that goes along with that, whatever that is. You know, a few people want to admit it, but I think there's a lot of people, if they were being really honest, they're not super excited about going to heaven. They're not super stoked about it. Better than the alternative, but when a lot of people think of heaven, they think of words like boring, eternal, oh my gosh, just like, I'm glad I'm here, but like this uh, far side, we really wish I brought a magazine because it's just floating and doing nothing. And some people even go further, and it's like a fear of theirs. Like, I'm just afraid that I'm going to get there. I'm not going to fit in, or like, I'm just going to be, you know, just floating, and it's one of my worst nightmares. I want to do something today. I don't know what you think of heaven. I would like to challenge your thinking, though, because my understanding is we've done surveys of Americans and probably just people all over the world. There's a lot of misunderstandings about what heaven is like and what it's going to be like. The problem here is many of the things that we think we know about heaven and a lot of the things that we've just always assumed are true did not come from the Bible. We have images floating around in our mind that came from TV shows and cartoons and, and comics and medieval art and Renaissance paintings. You understand that a lot of the things that you just assumed to be true about the, the heaven to come didn't even come from the Bible. It just came from someone's imagination, someone who may not even believe that the Bible is true. The jokes about St. Peter meeting at the gate, the fluffy, all that stuff. So what I want to do is challenge your thinking today simply by doing what we do every week, which is just to go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? Now, you can say, well, I agree with that or I don't, but this is the foundation of our faith here at Connection. 
what the Bible says, we say. What it doesn't say, we kind of like, let's just have differences of opinion. But this is important. So I have been praying for you as I wrote this message, as I thought through what we're going to talk about, just to say, God, will you, your Holy Spirit, just challenge our thinking and maybe correct some of the things that we've always assumed to be true that just aren't. Things that maybe give us apprehension where we should be experiencing joy and excitement and enthusiasm. So I want you to just, as I go through the Bible today and talk about what the Bible really does and does not say about heaven, I want you to just use your imagination. I would invite you to just start anticipating what it is that we're going to have to look forward to. So if you did take out your Bible, if you would find Revelation 21, I'm going to tell you, you guys who have paper versions of the Bible, today you get to look like a Bible scholar. Because all you have to do is go to the last page of your Bible, and you're pretty much there. So just go, I know where that's at. I found Revelation 21 already. So we'll have these on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But I encourage you every week, bring your Bible to church. It's a good way for you to get into it and figure out where things are. It's a good way for you to make sure I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> and if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table out here in the foyer, in the commons, and you're welcome to take one of those with you. So we're going to look at Revelation 21. There's a description there of heaven as it's going to be. And I want to get a little context because you may or may not know much about Revelation. I think like everybody's heard of Revelation, but you may not know much about it. So Revelation's the spooky book of the Bible. It's like the haunted house at the end of the street in your Bible. Everybody goes, like, Revelations. No, it's Revelation. And what is, this is a book that's been written by the Apostle John. He's one of Jesus' closest followers. He spent a lifetime telling people that you should love God and love each other just like Jesus taught us. And now when he wrote Revelation, he's an old man who's been persecuted for his faith. Uh, the authorities didn't want him preaching about Jesus, so they tried to kill him, and that didn't work. So they exiled him out to an island in the middle of nowhere called Patmos, just a desert island, desolate place. And Jesus came to John very late in his life. He's probably 80 or 90 years old, and he had a vision, a revelation. That's why we call it that, a revealing of things that are and things that are to come. So if you're reading Revelation, that's kind of the hard, tricky thing is to figure out what am I reading that's talking about how things are now, and what am I reading in Revelation that are things that haven't happened yet? You know, like here we are 2,000 years after John wrote this and saw this vision. Some of the things that are in here still haven't happened yet. What we're going to cover right now is one of those things. At the end of chapter 20, John sees a vision of what the final judgment, the final last day of this era is going to look like, and he sees this judgment, and he sees every single human being who's ever lived and, and the people who are currently alive, and we all face judgment, and everybody stands before Jesus, and some people are judged, and that's when hell is destroyed, that's when Satan is thrown into hell, and it's just all this happens, the books of life, and, uh, or, and the books of everything that everybody's done, that's all at the end of chapter 20. And then when that is concluded, that's still something that's going to happen in the future, you get to chapter 21, and we start reading this in verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And I'm going to stop right there. If you're taking notes, this is a great thing to write down. One of the first things I notice about our future home is that it is going to be a physical place, which is not how we've been taught to think about it. Am I right? We think fluffy, clouds, robes, harps, angels. We don't think of heaven in terms of a physical place. 
But I want you to think about this. There is no reason to believe that the new heaven and the new earth will not be a physical place when you realize that if it's a new earth, what's the current earth like? And when Jesus comes back and we're resurrected into a new body, what are you going to do with a physical body if you're not in a physical place? And let me point out something else. It says here in the verse that God's home is now with us. This holy city comes out of heaven to the new earth. Why is it coming down to a new earth? Because the world that we live in is not the world that was created. And the world that we live in is not the world that's going to be. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God, they separated something that was never meant to be separated. Heaven and earth were separated. God was separated from people because of our sin, our choices. Our bodies become separated from our spirits. That's what death is. When your spirit and your body separate, it's a horrible thing. God never intended for that to happen. He never intended for heaven and earth to be different places. But that's where we're going, and that's in our future. And heaven and earth will be together, and it will be a physical place. Listen to this. I want you to go. If you're in Revelation and you want to find this verse, it's great. It's just a few pages before that. Second Peter, another apostle of Jesus. This is Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 13. And uh, Peter said this. Hey, we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that God has promised. It's going to be a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, one of the things I just want to point out here, I'm not going to get too technical, but when Peter says that we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, that word new, like you might assume like, oh, brand new, made from scratch. But that word is actually a word that means restored. When you find a 68 Mustang in some farmer's barn and you restore it, is it a brand new 1968 Mustang? Or is it back to what it was supposed to be? I want to challenge your thinking about this. We've always thought about heaven as something ethereal and ghostly, but it's not. The new experience that we're going to have when Jesus returns is a very physical thing. Matt Chandler, he's a pastor, he said it this way. He said that he grew up with an understanding that when he died, he would go to heaven, and that was the end of the story. He says, however, when I got older, I started to study the scripture. I realized what I'd gotten wrong. It's not as ghosty as we were taught. I think maybe this is a whole different sermon. I think one of the things we might be doing is conflating the current heaven with the future heaven. That's just something for you to think about. The heaven as it is right now, where we go if we pass away right now before Jesus comes back. But even then, I think we'll have a physical body. But there is definitely a physicality to our future. If you're in Revelation still, you can go over just one more chapter to chapter 22. and Just listen to another description. John says, the angel showed me then a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Can I just ask you a question? What if those aren't just pretty words? What if that's meant to be taken literally? In, in our new heaven and new earth, there's going to be a river with clear flowing water and trees and fruit. What do trees grow out of? Dirt. Yeah, he's like, I know he's looking for dirt, but am I supposed to say Jesus? I don't know. <laughs> dirt, rocks, roots, worms, fruit hanging from the tree. It's a real place. It's a real thing in a real physical body. And there's going to be animals and just all kinds of things that, that we love about this life. Which is, um, you know, something that, again, it's very cool. If Jesus gives us a real physical resurrected body, there's going to be all these physical places to explore. And then there's a really serious question a lot of people ask and you wonder, and you're thinking, like, should I say it out loud? I'll just go ahead and say it for you. Will we eat in heaven? Oh, yeah. 
And let me give you a scripture for that so you don't just think I'm making this up. This is a this legitimate question, in my opinion. I love to eat. Eating is one of the most enjoyable things that, that God has given us in life. And it's something that carries on into the next life. For example, in Revelation 19.7, look at this. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to God, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared it herself. You think about that. Revelation 7.16, it says that in heaven we will no longer be hungry or thirsty. Now, it's not saying we won't be hungry and thirsty because we just don't eat. That's saying because we will have plenty to eat all the time. I have friends who say when they go on vacation, they don't eat when they get hungry. They eat so they don't get hungry. Can you imagine what these verses might mean to someone who's never had enough to eat their entire life? That heaven is a place of enough, and there's always plenty to eat, and you get to eat a barbecue, a feast with Jesus and the people that you love. You know, some people, I, I said, I think there's going to be animals in heaven. Some people really want to know that. Like, is my pet going to be in heaven? That's a different question. I'm just going to go ahead and put myself out there. This is my opinion. Don't say this is the Bible. I'm not telling you that. But I think if there was a pet in your life that meant so much to you, you know, it's just like a, a deep part of your family and your life, I think they'll be there. And I've got C.S. Lewis backing me up, so there you go, Chronicles of Narnia guy. <laughs> it's not the Bible, so don't hold me to that. But the Bible does describe that right now in heaven there are horses. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that talks about the future life that we'll live. And it talks about the lion and the lamb and the wolf all laying down together and getting along with each other. I think it's like a no-brainer. Why did God make animals if he doesn't like them in this current world? Why would he not populate the next earth with animals? Who knows? Maybe the animals that have gone extinct get to come back. Maybe there will be new animals that we've never even thought of before that God just exercises creativity and makes. Who knows where genetics and everything will take things. You know, there was somebody asked little kids, what do you like about heaven? What are you thinking about? One kid said, oh, there's gold streets and nobody gets run over. <laughs> Another kid said, you can play with the animals there. I'm going to ride me an octopus. You go for it. So I think heaven's going to be this physical place. You think about something that Jesus said right before he died. He was talking to his closest disciples. John would have been there. Peter was there. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. Or maybe you've heard it, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it wasn't so, I would have told you. And Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, that word rooms or mansions, it can be taken more than just literal, like we have three rooms off the back of the sanctuary here. It's, there's like plenty of places. He's describing an entire universe of places. I don't know about you, I love to explore new places. I love to go hiking. I can't wait to see the new universe. I'm going to go see it all, and you're all welcome to come along with me. Yeah. It's going to be a physical place, and you ought to be looking forward to it. Let me give you another tip off. Here's something else you might even find surprising. Heaven will be a place of intellectual growth and discovery. Now, I, I don't know if I'm stepping on anybody's toes. Some people have told me, oh, I can't wait to go to heaven because then I'll know everything. Really? I think only God knows everything. God seems to enjoy us learning things. In fact, I will just say, and maybe some of you agree with this, one of the greatest enjoyments in my life is learning new things. Don't you just enjoy having a curiosity about something and chasing it down and figuring it out? I think that carries on into heaven. But we will get to understand things at a whole different level, and we'll have people that we can ask about. You know, just ask, why did this happen? When did this, you know, like, God knows everything, and he gets to teach us in heaven. And so we get to have this ongoing, progressive discovery of new things. There's another verse in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. This is a little long. Just stay with me. Just kind of focus on the screen. 
It says there, God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Now, here's why God did that. In order that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I know it's a long verse, but the whole point of it is around that word show, that the reason that God has saved us and seated us with Christ, it's so that in the coming ages, the coming heaven after Jesus returns, God wants to show or demonstrate his grace. And that word show, as Gene Apple points out, he's a pastor, it's, it's like a progressive, ongoing revelation. So I want you to think about the ability to sit down with God or someone who maybe you know, Moses or one of the other people of faith and just ask, what in the world was going on in my life at this point when this was going on? Why did you let this happen? Why did you not stop that? Why didn't you step forward? And God gets to show you what he did through all of the good things and the horrible things of your life. He gets to reveal it progressively to you and all of us are wired to love that, just that idea of, I want to know, and God will teach us. There are so many things that we just, we don't have an answer for. And I'm doing my best in this series, asking for a friend to say, hey, what do you want to know about? And we'll do our best. But there are just some things the Bible doesn't scratch that itch, that curiosity, or that just deep need to know why things are the way they are, why they're not different. But you can ask. Here's one of the things I'm looking forward to. I want to get to know if there were ever interactions between like me and an angel in this lifetime. Was there a battle that angels were fighting on our behalf? I want to know what God was doing with some of the times that were the most difficult in my life and in your life. Can you imagine being able to sit down and ask somebody, why didn't you get rid of Satan sooner? Can you imagine sitting down with Moses and getting leadership lessons or talking to King Solomon and asking him about wisdom? You know, talking to Peter about fishing. I know a lot of that's big for a lot of you. Can you just imagine that? All these conversations you get to have and all these things that you get to learn. I think Jeff Hosey, you can just sit down and take music lessons with Jeff, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? You guys look skeptical. Jeff's going to be there. You can do that. <laughs> heaven's going to be a place where we get to learn things, and I'm just so looking forward to that. There's another thing about heaven that you may be interested in knowing, and that is our future life will include productive work. <coughs> Excuse me. Which, again, goes against what many of us have been taught, that heaven's going to be boring, like, here's what John Eldridge, he's an author, he says this, uh, John Eldridge, not me, I've heard a lot of worship leaders and pastors say from the pulpit or on the stage, hey, I can't get, wait till we get to be with the Lord, we're going to worship forever. And John Eldridge says, here's the great stunning hope that God offers us, an eternal church service in the sky, which is, he says, unbiblical, it's also totally unappealing, unless you're really into worship. I mean, who wants that? The big thing that we've lost is you can actually spend your eternal life in heaven not just there, but you're on a new earth. And he says, I think that's where we get off track. Remember, Revelation 7, Revelation 22, they talk about serving God, and that's what we will do. And uh, if you are exhausted this morning, if you hate your job, I hope that I'm not making you go, oh, no, I get to work in heaven too, great. You know why you feel that way? It's because you are in a job that you are not wired for. I mean, you know this. There has been something in your life that you've been working on it, and you lost track of time because you were just in the zone, and you're doing what you were made to do. That's what heaven will be like. If you hate your job and you hate your life right now, it's because you're mismatched with what you're doing. 
Heaven's going to be a place where you get to fully explore what God wired you to do. He made each one of us unique and different, and we don't lose those talents and abilities. We get to fully explore them and find our passions. Heaven's not just one long, all-inclusive vacation. I mean, if you need that, you probably can do that for a while, but after a while, you're going to get bored with that, and you're going to want to move on to do something. And, and you know, it's not going to be frustrating. Now, you can tackle projects that thrill you. You can take on things that you've always wondered about. Would I be good at that? There's going to be some things that we won't have in heaven. I mean, like, for example, there's no death in heaven, so people who work in the funeral industry, they're going to have to find something else to do, right? There's no dentists in heaven. I mean, dentists get to go to heaven. There's just no tooth decay, so they they got to find another. they got to do a bulldozer job or something, which would be great. But yeah, there's just so many things about heaven that's going to be good because we'll be doing productive things. That's what God made us to do. There's a huge universe, and we should get on to what we were supposed to be doing before we sinned and destroyed it. Here's another thing that's pretty shocking to people. Heaven will be a place of friendship and relationships and love. Heaven's a place of community. I know if you're familiar at all with what happened when Jesus died, do you remember that Jesus was actually crucified with two other people? There were two other thieves that were executed at the same time on either side of him on their own cross. They spent the first part of the morning cursing Jesus, and then something changed for one of those two, and he, before Jesus died, asked Jesus, hey, will you remember me when you go into your Father's kingdom? And Jesus said to him, oh yeah, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a relational place. Three o'clock, Jesus died. Some point later, Friday afternoon, that thief died. They were together in heaven talking to each other. And I have people ask me, and I don't know where this teaching got started. People go, like, we won't know each other in heaven, right? I'm like, where in the world do you get that? Why would God make you and you and you and make all of us with our personalities only to erase all of that and start over again? Of course we're going to know each other. Are you not looking forward to the people that you get to see again? Are you not looking forward to meeting your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather that you just are an amazing friend with that you just don't know it because you didn't live at the same time? Heaven's going to be a place of great reunions. Now, some of you, you're getting little tinglies, and you're like, oh, this is starting to freak you out because your whole life has been relationally difficult. Maybe you grew up in a dysfunctional family. Maybe just relationships are hard for you. Maybe it's just never really been that easy for you to connect with other people. Let me just tell you right now, heaven's going to open up a whole new world for you. It's going to be a place where there's these rich relationships, and there's going to be love, and people are going to care for one another. Revelation 7, I love this. If you go read this sometime, John saw a vision of the future in heaven, and he saw people. And I want you to know something. This is a little goosebumpy for me. He saw a future picture of heaven with all of the people, which means if you are a Christian, you were part of the crowd that John saw. You're in the Bible. It is theoretically possible in that vision that John saw you. But the way John describes it, it sounds like there must have been trillions and trillions of people in heaven, all praising God. And here's how John describes them. They were from every people, every tribe, every language, every nation, just people from all eras and from all different groups of people. If you can't find a friend out of that group, well, you can because it's heaven, and you're going to. Just imagine that. Can you imagine that you find out your best friend lived 10,000 years before you did? And you guys are just like this. And the party never ends. People think of eternity like, will I get bored? Of course not. I'm like, how do you get bored when there's all these things and people? And You ever have a night where you're just playing cards with your friends and your family, and it's just great, and you're like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to have to go to work, and it's going to end? It doesn't end in heaven. It's a relational place. 
Here's something else. I, I, just, I get so excited about what heaven's going to be. I've got to wrap this up. But one of the things that the Bible is really clear on that makes heaven so great, it's not just what's going to be there, it's what's not going to be there. Do any of you watch, um, on Netflix, you ever watch Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? Jerry Seinfeld? So if you haven't, it's pretty cool. He'll just take like 15 minutes for each episode, and it'll be just a famous comedian. They'll get coffee, and they'll drive in a car. It's, it's great. He's talking to John Mulaney in this latest season. They were talking about retirement and death, and Jerry was going, I'm actually kind of looking forward to death. And John's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Jerry just said, think of all the things you don't have to do anymore. All the, like, when you die, there's the, just, you're done with bills or whatever. I'm thinking about all the things that won't be in heaven. Let me just give you a few examples. If you've got your Bible, you can go to Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. We already read the first part of this. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He'll be with them, and they'll be his people, and God will, himself will be with them. Now look at verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Think about what's going to be great about heaven. Part of it is what won't be there anymore. Some of you, you live with physical pain every day. That's done. Some of you, you've just struggled you don't know what it's like to live a medicine-free, Advil-free, pain-free, arthritis-free, denture-free, fat-gram-free existence. I mean, no handicaps, no disabilities, no limitations. Some of us are going to get to experience the full use of a human body for the first time ever. He talked about here, there's no more pain, there's no more death, which means there's no more war. There's no more computer hacking attacks. There's no more hospitals, no more prisons. You don't have to be a police officer and try to protect people from other people. That all goes away. Let me read a verse for you, 20, Revelation 21, verses 25 through 27. It says that the gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. There's no need to shut the gates. It's completely safe. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter heaven, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Gates don't close. It's a safe place. Our children don't have to worry about walking from one house to another and something happening. They don't have to check the closet for the boogeyman. It's just done. It's all okay. There's no police, no prisons, no sin ever again. And if you have wondered, like, okay, well, what if I get to heaven and I'm the one who screws it up? It will not be possible. Part of your salvation, Jesus guarantees you, is that you are becoming the kind of person who will not only never sin again, you will never even want to sin again. You belong there, and Jesus will make it so. It's not up to you. You just have to agree to it, and he'll do it for you. There's another great verse, Revelation 7:16. I read part of it earlier. Revelation 7:16. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. I, man, look at my skin. I am so looking forward to not having to put SPF 5,000 on my skin and my kid's skin. It's just going to be a different reality. Heaven's something to look forward to, and it's something to anticipate. I don't know if you think about it enough. We're Americans. We've got it pretty good. That's part of the problem. Our life here is pretty good, and we don't think about how much better it could be. But you ought to. Now, look, if I am wrong about some of the things I'm teaching today, you don't agree with me, if it turns out that we get to heaven, and I don't want you all standing there like, you told us. And, like, 
if anything, if I've got this wrong, it's that I'm underestimating how good it's going to be. Am I right? The description in the Bible, it's just like beyond our ability to imagine or under, understand or comprehend. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that heaven is going to be. There's a lot of things that might be missing from heaven. I want you to know this. Of all the things that should be missing from heaven, you should not be one of them. The passion that drives my heart, the passion that drives Connection Christian Church, connecting people to God and each other through Jesus, is that there is going to come a day where everyone's going to stand before God. And I want you to be ready for that day. I want you to be found in Christ. I want you to know that you're going to be there. And that's not arrogant. I know some of you think that it's arrogant to say, like you want to say, I hope that I'm there someday. I hope that God accepts me. God doesn't want you to live every day of your life in fear that you may or may not make the cut. That's not why Jesus came to die for you. He came to offer you the good news that you can know today that you are in for eternity. It doesn't have to be a question mark in your mind. And the only reason that Jesus has not already come to back to earth 2,000 years after he came the first time is because he's giving every single person every last opportunity to say yes to this amazing gift that he wants to give you. But it's really in your hands. God is not ever going to force anybody to accept him. Man, I don't know why you wouldn't. God loves you. God cares for you. God has done everything he can to help you become right again with him and to restore your life. It's not just heaven and earth that needs to be restored. We need to be restored, and he'll do that for you. But you guys say yes to it because he wants you there. There's a paparazzi photographer named Russell Turiak. He's a little bit older, but he got some, I'll tell you who some of the famous pictures he's snagged, and then you'll go, okay, yeah, he's older. He's got uh, people like uh, Steve McQueen, Jackie Kennedy. He shot Jack Nicholson, photography-wise, Sylvester Stallone, Oprah Winfrey, Tom Cruise, Mick Jagger. You know, I don't know if he made anything, I don't know if TMZ was around when he was shooting pictures, but you know these guys. They, they just jump out of the bushes. They show up at parties they're not invited to. They see you at the airport. They see you when you don't want to be seen. They take your picture. And for him, for Russell Turiak, he said the big thing was to see one of his pictures on one of the big shows or on one of the big tabloids. But what goes along with that? No one is ever excited to see you when you're the paparazzi when you're there with your phone or your camera taking their picture. So consequently, he never got invited to anybody's party. He was never, he was there. He was just creeping in the bushes. And he said he always would imagine that if, if he ever got to heaven one day, you know what he would love to hear somebody say to him? He says he just imagines going up to a desk like it's a party. And somebody says, oh, Russell Turiak, your name's on the list. Come on in. Revelation describes a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name can already be in there, but that's up to you. Jesus has done everything he can do, and then he's not going to go any further. It's up to you to respond to him. You know what we're going to do right now? I'm going to pray for you. And man, I, just, I really think that uh, maybe for some of you, today's the day where you need just to say, you know what, I need to do this. I need to go ahead and commit my life to Jesus, and we'll help you do that. That's what we're here for. Hundreds of Connection Christians and people in the history of this church have said yes to Jesus. They've gone over and they've been baptized in water. Today would be a great day to do that. We're ready for you. Uh, I would love to talk to you after service if you're still like, I don't know what that means, and we'll help you. But don't miss out on this. Of all the things that should be missing from heaven, it shouldn't be you.